Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of Hitchhiker's Guide to Nuclear. I'm your host, Gunther, with my co-host, Gil. Hey, Gil. <laughs> hey, Gil. On this month's show, we discuss an ever-fading horizon over the Wilford Nuclear Power Station, Ofgem's powerful statement on future power shortages, Cancer Research UK proving that beauty really isn't even skin deep, and the US nuclear subcommander rising from the dead. Our group discussion this month will consider the nuclear waste situation in Cumbria and will also attempt to bust some myths surrounding nuclear waste in general. So we've got a few new guests on the show today. We've got John Mann and Steve Cockrell. Do you want to say hello, guys? And Hey. Hey, so that's Steve, obviously, that you just met. Any interesting fact about yourself, Steve, to get well, the listeners engaged? Or? Well, I spend most of my money on buying ridiculously geeky T-shirts. Really? Well, you you should try and explain what that T-shirt is you got on today because uh, that is pretty damn it's, geeky. <laughs> it's a web code called CSS, and it's about how you colour a ninja black. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've got John on the show as well. So you, first time for you as well, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. It's interesting. I'm currently trying to grow a beard rather unsuccessfully, and I used to inspect roller coasters for a living. Inspect roller coasters. Yeah, Wait a minute, we had we had Toby on the show, didn't we? Who's down in nuclear physics, and he was part of the British Roller Coasting Society, wasn't he? It yeah, wasn't yeah, it yeah. wasn't inspecting, but I think it was just him. He went round Alton Towers. They let you in early. They let you in early. Those guys are nutters. Are they nutters? Why? Yeah. Like, what's wrong with them? They just they ride hours a day. They go early. They go. Ugh. <laughs> so Toby's an obsessed, a roller like coaster my, obsessive. My best friends are in the roller coaster club. Oh, okay then. There we go. I might have to check that out then. And we've also got Lizzie on the show. Hello. Hello. Hi. So Lizzie, I should explain, was on the first. You were on the very first show, yeah, weren't the first you? One, yeah. The very first one. So that was done in my basement flat, wasn't it? And it Things was pretty cramped progress. circumstances. But we did have cake. We did have cake, really? yeah. Where's Paul wasn't here, though, to provide the cake, mm. so that's quite unfortunate. The only reason I came. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason you came. So, yeah, we've got pretty action-packed show, to, to be honest, today. We've actually had a few tweets uh, in terms of questions from people about nuclear waste, which is going to be our discussion, obviously, today. So I suppose we'll address some of those questions. And I suppose let's get on with the news. Should we get on with it? Yeah. 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 Woo, woo. Woo. Okay, so our first story is concerning the Horizons venture. So with E.ON and RWE obviously pulling out of the Horizons venture earlier this year, the floor has been opened for other energy companies to bid to build a new nuclear reactor on the Wilfer site in North Wales. However, with recent news that a French-Chinese consortium has also pulled out of the bidding process, along with EDF treading water over construction at Hinkley Point, where does this leave UK nuclear power in the energy mix, guys? Well, I think it's very sad for um, Wales because they're really relying on it. It is, um, it is. I, I, I'm actually in, in mourning right I now. think so, yeah, and it was all looking very positive, so it's a bit in limbo at the moment. No, I think, I think you're right, though, Lizzie. It is pretty... Uh, yeah, it's sad news. It is. I mean, it's good for the economy, though, isn't it? And obviously the fact that they're being, you know, messed around yeah, to some and, degree and not knowing... Yeah, and shown interest in bidding for it, like Westinghouse. But um, nobody's actually come through. Well, Westinghouse lost their backer, didn't they? Because I read that China was still going to fund Westinghouse. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They pulled out as well. Mm-hmm. They pulled out as well. China so pulled out of funding Westinghouse. There's, uh, okay. there's, there's people been giving out rumours that it's got a lot to do with the UK government not wanting many Chinese investors involved. I 
In what respect then? What in respect of um, it, it's to do with basically, I think it, I think it was on the side of technology and them not wanting people who were going to then maybe invest in the same technology and try and sell it back to us and then take all the secrets away from it if they're going to be the investor or something stupid like that, which is which is rubbish considering China's already building one of all of these reactors. So but that might be a matter. small price to pay for yeah. them to have their investment and money spent. They said they didn't mind the money, did they, the China? It was just the fact that the UK government... Yeah. Of course they the didn't. They've got all the money yeah. in the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they can build whatever yeah. the heck they want. They've got huge potholes. <laughs> I mean, you're right, though. China's like a shining example of that they're, they're a country just builds whatever they want, wherever they... You know, in within the country's borders, obviously. But, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've, I mean, there was, wasn't there talk of uh, G. Hitachi back in... Yeah, but they didn't bid either. They didn't bid they either. Were, so they there was predicted to bid, but they didn't. Oh, they were, so they weren't. They didn't even mention interest, did they? Or was it just that they? Weren't they? There was. This might be a different story, but weren't they also wanting to throw in their own BWR reactor into the mix as something that the UK could build? But obviously, everyone said that's stupid. We've already got two designs down. We're now going to throw in another one. So maybe that had something to do with it. Because G is their own design. Well, it's like the Prism reactor, isn't it? As well. I mean, yeah. that's. That's another issue that people are saying the Britain should take on board, but obviously they're not really... I mean, I'd say it's a lukewarm response, isn't it, really? It was not really been one. So they're sort of like, yeah, you know, work on the blueprints for your prison reactor or whatever and, you know, fix it up, but don't build it here. Essentially, <laughs> not mentioning it out loud. So. Yeah. They just, they've just like basically added it to what the massive list of yeah, things we could do with our plutonium. We'll assess all of these, and then we've got added a few more. And it's like, we'll yeah. assess them all, and then we'll get back to you about it. So yeah, we'll I, think, I, think, I mean, I don't know. It seems like a lot of toing and throwing. And, I mean, I, I don't know what you think about Hinkley Points. Obviously, EDF are meant to be constructing there soon, but obviously they're pre- being pretty tepid in their response to the British government, aren't they? So essentially, because of this... Con- and it's this confusion, isn't there? I suppose people don't want to bid because obviously they're not sure if the government are going to do these new blank check subsidies that have been mentioned in the news this week. So the idea that they're going to underwrite the cost of um, construction and all this sort of thing. But they haven't called it a subsidy. I, like, yeah. I don't know what the heck's going on. <laughs> How can they get away with that when one of their main focuses is they don't want any public subsidies? By not calling it a subsidy. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically what they did. So, well, to be honest, I think we'd know a lot more about it when the energy bill comes out, So, which David Cameron's been, obviously, saying things in public and then contradicting the people who are drafting the bill, so I don't know whether... uh, It's like a good U-turn, doesn't it? I don't know, though. Where do you guys (laughs) think it puts the nuclear in the energy mix, then? Do you think it's still going to be an integral part in the future? Do you think it's... I mean, all this... You know, dathering about is going to actually damage its prospects for the future. Or <laughs> deep breath. <laughs> gas is going to be very cheap for a long time, so I don't know. Because of all the shale gas in China, America, Russia. So fracking, you reckon yeah. fracking is going to be a big thing? Well, it is a big. Thing, well, yeah, but I mean, do you think that's going to well, be the be predominant bigger, yeah. avenue for the government. I mean, I don't know, like, fracking's got its own problems as well. Like, they, I don't know. I suppose we'll see when the energy bill comes out. But is it, I think, as Lizzie said, the main point being with this is probably just job security, isn't it? I mean, the idea that... I mean, because Wilf is still, in, still actually operating, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's been operated since 1971, actually. It's the o- um, only Magnox reactor ru- uh, that's still running in the UK. It still provides power. So that was obviously... People were looking forward to reinvesting 
I mean, especially for North Wales. I mean, I'm, I'm from North Wales, guys. If people didn't guess, I mean, obviously not from my voice. Same here. All right. Well, we really yeah. don't have North Wales voices. Well, Welsh voices in general. But there's not. No, yeah, Walians. But yeah, um, there seems to be not much going on up North Wales in terms of big. I'd say big industry, really, mm. especially that side. Mm. Um, really it wasn't just it. the Welsh side as well. There was Albury and Goth. Albury, yeah. yeah, so that that's obviously part of the venture, yeah. um, but I'm not sure if that part's fallen through as well, there seems oh, to be right. confusion about Albury as well now. Alright then, moving on. By Ofgem, the UK's energy regulator, Britain runs the risk of running out of energy generating capacity in the winter of 2015. What would this mean in the future for Britain's energy sector? Would we, as a country, for example, rely more heavily upon imported gas? More importantly, however, how will this affect the energy market and will energy utilities turn up the heat on energy bills? So what do we think about this one? Sorry. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about this one, guys? I just wish there was some like cheap, safe, well-developed option for <laughs> energy production that yeah. we could incorporate into the country as soon as possible. <laughs> Wind power. <laughs> For instance. Wind power. <laughs> I, yeah, I know what you mean. I think it's, especially with, I mean, obviously we've just been talking about uh, UK reinvesting in nuclear, but obviously the... I think what scares them about that option is the huge run-up costs in terms of initial construction and yeah. everything, not the actual long-term economic feasibility of it. They always think about the short-term economic input mm-hmm. for that. So, yeah, I, I, I do think that's a problem. But have you got anything, Steve? You seem like you're on the edge of your seat there. <laughs> I just think they're just going to build more gas, like we've said earlier. Yeah, I think yeah. it's... Oops. By 2015, we ain't going to have a nuclear reactor. <laughs> <laughs> <Don't really laughs> yeah, for any way. One, no. Two, definitely not. <laughs> I mean, according to Ofgem, they said that more investment was needed in building fresh generating capacity. They didn't say how that was going to be achieved. No, so I, I imagine think that's a big problem. There's not enough um, detail at the moment. There's not enough clarity on what the plans are, so it's difficult for companies to invest. Yeah, we should say that Ofgem, their initial assessment actually blames the risk on coal-fired power stations being closed sooner than expected Mm. and the EU environmental legislation tightening their belts on Mm. carbon footprints. So, but Ofgem has actually actually agreed with Steve. They said it would leave Britain relying a heck of a lot more on imported gas, which would also make prices rise more steeply. So, Well, they have no other option. Yeah, I mean you can't use wind in the winter. Yeah, you've got no energy wind. storage. The new the BBC, the thing about the water and CO two changing into ethanol. <laughs> 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 what? It was making petrol from water and CO two in his like shed or whatever. Who was? That guy in um in Cambria or something. They spent a million pounds doing it. Really? They're saying you could do this, but it's like scientists from BBC then said it's like. Is this why they keep deferring a decision on nuclear waste because they're too busy trying to turn water into petrol? (laughs) (laughs) Leave us for a few years. (laughs) I just think it's bizarre that uh, I think this energy bill is going to be so important because it's going to have such a huge impact on the utilities companies and especially if 
you say, Steve, that gas is more likely to be incorporated, more gas is going to be incorporated. I mean, I mean, what do you guys think that's going to do for the end customer? I mean, it's going to be pretty bad. Well, they're saying that the um, effect on the household is going to be minimal. But I don't see how that's going to happen. There's this whole whole thing about like all electricity and gas production. They can charge like almost anything, and people are still going to use roughly the same amount. It's like very like inelastic the change in people's usage. Mm. Because if your like gas or electricity bill goes up, do you ever consider like turning the heating down by a few degrees or making sure you don't have half of your items plugged in? Yeah. Buy a more efficient whatever. Mm. No one really does, and they have to go up a huge amount for people to actually start, and a one big step for anyone to sort of notice it and for people to actively start changing the way they do what they do about it. Yeah. So it'll be noticeable on your wallet, but you're probably not going to do anything about it. I mean, it's, it's a, will there be a cheap? I mean, as you said before, John, will there be a cheap sort of environmental front friendly option that could be incorporated quite quickly if they? Demand side reduction. <laughs> I've put my massive hippie hat on and lie about how great and the potentials for demand side reduction. Everyone turns off their mobile phone chargers. <laughs> Just explain for everyone then what demand side reduction is. Or... Reducing demand. There's this whole thing like supply follows our demand for electricity, but there's the other side of it where you could make your demand follow supply. So you could have either smart appliances like fridges when there's a huge amount of demand go a bit warmer or what people really want to do, some some people consider be a large industry. If some of them got cheaper electricity from the electricity board on the consideration that 12 times a year for about a 24-hour period, they can be rang up and said you have to get your electricity consumption down to a certain amount. And (coughs) if they can manage to do that, They'll sort of they'll be able to use whatever they like before or after that period, but they have to drop it down beforehand. Would they be cap? Would they? I mean, how would they sort of ensure that people do do it then through caps? As in, if, you're, if you're a huge if you're a huge industry, you don't get your electricity through like the same. No, no, but say a, say a household. If you were almost in the same sense of like a United mm-hmm. Utilities for water, so if you got water wastage, would they? You mean a similar sort of? Oh, they, they policy know because they're supplying it to. They just sort of, they can grab it. Yeah, they can cut it. Say, listen, if you go over this for the month, then there'll be a cap, or you'll be charged. Not for the month, just for a specific period when there's huge demand. Ah, okay. So that means that before or afterwards, you can just ramp it up and make up for it. So you make your demand, you'll make your demand follow when they have a lot of supply. Yeah. So if it's in the middle of the night, you could ramp it up huge, and it'd be fine. Or if wind turbines are spinning a lot, you could use a lot more. But if it's a low point, they can try and get lots of companies to cut off their usage. Mm. Which is a really nice idea, but probably wouldn't work at all. How would they predict it? And they predict like you, they well, can I think they predict supply yeah. like massively, like in demand. Well, I think that I think they'd look more at like peak times, wouldn't they? So yeah. they'd look at when it's like almost like. Well, I, I'm trying to use internet providers as an example, but they're crap at doing it. Uh, <laughs> is at peak times they obviously change, try and attempt to alleviate um, some of the pressure on the servers, don't they? By Giving like a certain speed to everyone rather than giving it to one section and everyone being slower. You wouldn't think that though, but uh, they mm. they try it. Yeah. <laughs> Your internet's still infinitely slow at seven at night. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I, I don't know. That might be. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. But hippies <laughs> like to think it'll work, but it won't. Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely idea. It's beautiful, but it just won't work. Uh, I think go, sort of. I mean, connected to this story loosely. I say loosely, considering we're talking about the energy sector in general, was 
Electric cars, they actually, BBC News reported that electric cars might pollute much more than petrol or diesel power cars, according to new research. So this was at the Norwegian University of Science and Technology. It actually found that greenhouse gas emissions rose dramatically if coal was used to produce the electricity. Electric car factories also emitted, however, more toxic waste than conventional car factories, their report in the Journal of Industrial Ecology said. Rather interesting, like I, I find, that if, if you incorporate not just obviously the running of the car but the production of it and all that sort of jazz, actually it might be the case that electric cars actually over their lifetime from factory floor to the showroom actually and to someone's home actually cause more damage environmentally. So I think it's the same thing. You can broach the same argument. Obviously there was a study done with wind farms, wasn't there? Obviously people were saying, Oh, it's hugely environmental friendly but I mean take into the account the actual production of the rare earth metals or the you know, to make the magnets and these things, it actually works out that top heavy <laughs> the environmental damage is a lot, lot more severe. Mm. It seems that people are, I think, all too willing to ignore it, really, but I don't know what you think. Isn't it better that it's in one place, because then they'll be able to... Because if it's in a car, all around the country you get pollution, but if it's mm. electric, the power plants just produce, produce pollution. So it's oh, easier yeah, to storage, store it there if you have carbon storage or something. So like the everywhere. pollution density or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like but they, it means they do get carbon storage. It's much easier to do because it's just like... The thing is it's um, much greater, the particulate emissions per, um, per car per kilometre for electric cars than it is for just gas-powered ones. Because the more that you've got to convert the energy from the power station. And in a place where China, where like 85% is, um, of their power is coal, is fossil fuel... It's basically they're just burning directly fossil fuels to power their car. Yeah, I mean, it's also, I mean, taking into effect that they said the global warming potential for this is as soon as you emit a high level of toxicity into the atmosphere or into the, the local ecosystem, it's spread in such a way that, you know, it could prove more severe. <coughs> so the production of heavy acid rain and stuff like that, yeah, um, as well as global warming effects. I forgot to read this article, but is is it the the effects? Is it based on sort of carbon emissions only, or other environmental? Effects? No, I'm I'm assuming it's taken into account a few things. It's taken into account into it's the carbon footprint, but it's all also uh, toxicity impact, ecosystem toxicity, um, depletion so, of fossil fuel and mineral resources during production. And then with those into account, they say electric vehicles consistently perform worse or on a par with modern internal combustion engine vehicles, despite virtually zero direct emissions during the actual operation of the vehicle. Well, obviously it varies which country. It varies with which country, yeah. I suppose it depends. Like, I mean, I don't know. I'd be curious to know Japan, because obviously Japan are big on their hybrids and electric cars. I'd be curious to see that country's... So one of the things that's the heaviest factor in that, whether it's like the electricity you produce to run the cars, whether it's actually manufacturing the materials, whether it's like disposing materials afterwards, because imagine getting rid of the batteries or what you do with the batteries afterwards mm. might be a large part of that. Yeah, I that could be a huge... Pr- just, well, no, they could be recycled. They're high, a lot. Flying, so you know, you've got these f- hydrogen fuel cells, haven't you? But where would you get the hydrogen from? Oh, the hydrogen fuel cells are just a stupid idea. <laughs> 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 We're not getting into this. But and if, anything else to add on that one, guys? Or no? No. All right. I like electric cars. Damn you!
said, beauty is only skin deep. But Cancer Research UK are adamant that the tanned and moisturised faces of today harbour a disturbingly ugly secret on the surface. As part of the RUV Ugly campaign, which is a really bad pun, CR UK are hoping to highlight the effects of UV overexposure from sunbeds and excess tanning by allowing members of the public to step behind a high-tech detector fittingly dubbed the Ugly Scanner. Throughout Scotland, people have been shocked to discover even pale skin is not an indicator of a bill of health, with many participants not even recognising their own UV reflection. So, guys, what do we think? I mean, this is obviously a very important issue. I think it's important to bring to light uh, the effects of UV. But I think the example that they've used, they took a woman who's been using some beds every week since she was 16, and she's now 30. And, yeah, it's important, obviously, to see how that's affected her face, but that's quite an extreme example. Yeah, but I think, likewise... I mean, to me, to me, it's staggering, really, that how people treat their skin on holidays because a lot of people will put suntan lotion on and protect themselves but for instance I was on holiday the other month I was sitting by the pool and I turned around and I looked at this fella's back and it was so unbelievably angry and red and skin coming off mm. and I was just like it was obviously yeah. eventually going to tan but I couldn't imagine that, that the damage, what sort yeah. of damage mm. that's done to his skin because it's essentially obviously it's I mean we should describe so UV radiation is uh of a wavelength that can absorb it, 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 the skin, the epidermal cells will absorb energy, they'll heat up. So the danger is obviously if you overexpose yourself to this UV radiation, you're doing cellular damage, but also you could be doing severe damage to your DNA. So I think this was the big thing with the scanner, obviously, was that even mm. pale, bare-skinned people mm. were obviously seeing a complete difference when they were put under the scanner because the damage that it was doing in terms of mm. DNA structures in their face. I think face it makes was... people more aware, yeah, definitely. But I do think that, like, you know, in England, there's no, there's very little sun in Scotland, probably even worse. So w- whenever there is sun, people just rush out and try and catch as much as they can. And obviously, it's a good way of making people aware of the damage they're doing to themselves. On the other hand, for some people, it might help, like, people that suffer from seasonal... Um, disorder, seasonal depression disorder might help to go on the sunbeds occasionally so you shouldn't like turn against everybody who might use it for like medical purposes No, I think it's, it's obviously dependent on the number of factors isn't it, I mean it's dependent on how long you use a sunbed how regularly you use it um, it's also for people who tan a lot mm. who aren't who their skin, who let's say their skin isn't acclimatised yeah. to that environment who don't think that it's doing any damage Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's the scary thing to me is this woman we should describe in the photographs, she is very fair skin she's very pale curly cues yeah and although she's been using sunbeds for a long time to look at her her visually you wouldn't you wouldn't think anything at all of it would you mm. i mean you wouldn't you wouldn't think it was doing any damage at all well, she, was, she was diagnosed with cancer yeah at 30 but yeah. this is the shocking thing people seem to think that you know you've got to get red angry skin and yeah, you know yeah. and, and all that sort of thing and skin peeling regularly and that's an indication but obviously it's a sort of I mean, I don't mean to scare people, but almost like a silent killer, isn't it? So you wouldn't know that it's actually happening. But I mean, I, I mean, I, personally, I think it's great that Cancer Research UK are doing this because I think too many people in this country go on those things and you know don't think about the consequences. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what anyone else thinks. Well, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, things like the only ways that Essex are like corrupt. But they use, they use bottles. 
quite a lot most of them that were bald. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I personally think. <laughs> I mean, I. I think so anyway. I mean, I've I've seen seen it. I think I, I know the sound severe, but I mean, to me, some of these high-powered sunbeds with variable scents, I think they should just be banned, to be honest. But that's what I'm saying. I think in extreme cases, people are just so unaware that they use it constantly, can't see the damage. Then it puts people that use it for like good reasons, so lack of vitamin D, for example, which a lot of people might need for he- various health reasons. Need to go. On I think that's bed. the thing, though. There should be. I mean, is there a lot? Is there much regulation or licensing yeah, on sunbeds? Inside actual like people who run them, uh, they see how often you're using a sunbed. Yeah, them, whether they can regulate. They it. do do that. They should do there be regulate. Some legal limit. You can't allow certain people. Yeah. Yeah, there must be some sort of self-regulation. I'm assuming. I wouldn't assume it's to the same degree as, say, if there was a, as you say, Lizzie, if it was for a medical sort of the NHS have these facilities and they can obviously regulate your treatment and prescribe that treatment. But I I just think it highlights the danger. And also, to me, they've they've done it with people who've simply tanned in the sun in countries, uh, you know, popular British tourist destinations, uh, like Benidorm and all that sort of thing. But I think the fact that they were very visibly shocked because obviously their skin yeah. hadn't aged or you know discernibly aged and they were obviously witnessing this like horrible damage mm. um, on the skin so do you think this is actually going to be effective at putting people off using it i mean you i think it'll make people think it. twice to me yeah. to, to me that photograph before. is i mean to me personally it's it's, it's horrifying because i mean i know with smoke i mean say with smoking yeah. for instance they've got like a tumour on someone's neck or something like that and obviously mm. that's a symptom that people are aware of it might happen to them but the fact that that's this photograph is of how they are now with using these sunbeds like underneath the skin mm. that you know it's a, it's, a, it's an effect that's happened to them right this second you know and that's the damage it's already done to them do you think it would affect the people who are on like big fat gypsy wedding who take their kids tanning every yeah I you reckon that those no, people I think, that, picture, I, I yeah. think there will be people who will obviously carry on regardless. But I think, in general, I think it will horrify people because, I mean, the look at her skin, it looks like someone is literally... I mean, you know, I don't mean to be crass, but it looks like someone's put her in a cooker. So, I mean, her skin is just... To me, it does genuinely look like something out of a horror film. I don't mean to... Uh, they should, as well, in the article, should have included someone face that hasn't been sun damaged who hasn't used sunbeds because you don't know what the damage just from like no, the outside your face is like there should be some I'm sure they've I, I tried to look at their website but there really wasn't that much on it um, but they did have another person who claimed that she didn't sunbed oh, right. and her skin was a lot well, better no it was still quite bad but yeah. it wasn't she regularly tanned but she tanned with oil oh, God. so basically <laughs> that's that was yeah, yeah, it's worse. It's just like cooks you like. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah it's like eats the so oil. They should up, have somebody it? who doesn't. Somebody who's. Like, yeah, but lives I. In Alaska and someone. At, I think I'm assuming yeah. they would have done this, but it'd be interesting. What I would be more interested to see if the Cancer Research UK perhaps do a report on this and actually, you know, mm. a public report, as you said, Lizzie, do a calibration test with someone who isn't naturally exposed to. Or regularly exposed to the sun, for instance, compared to someone who's on sunbeds, and then you know, um, yeah, look at the different types of severity. So as you said, I think it's, but to me, it's still pretty shocking. I do hope it puts people off because it's, mm. it's a serious problem. But, um, but yeah, it was. When they're going to change the suntan lotion so that it's all back to fifty or above, I thought 
Well, they're going to change it so you can't buy anything less. Oh, I'm not sure. No, I thought I thought anything yeah. above, like, I thought that anything above a certain amount was just the same. Yeah, about fifty. Was it above fifty? Oh right. I do know that they're overcharging for suntan lotion, something ridiculous <laughs> now. Before That's a my holiday, topic. no, before my holiday, <laughs> I was in Boots in Trafford Centre with my girlfriend, drinking some coke in in Boots. And I looked and she said, oh, do you want to buy a couple of bottles of Santan lotion? I put it through the till and it was 30 quid. I was like, spat my drink, spat my drink out all over this cafe. She was like, oh, what seems to be the problem, sir? I was like, I'll tell you what the blooming problem is. £10 for 200ml of a liquid. And the thing is, the annoying thing is, is, one, the prices have gone up and the bottles have got smaller. I swear, I swear there's this... There's this Conception the bottles have got smaller, prices have gone larger. I ran out of it in three days. I had to go to some local shop in Tenerife and they yeah. overcharged me as well. It's the whole cream egg thing, you only go on holiday once a year. Yeah. So yeah. Or you buy it in winter and it's a lot cheaper. Pardon? Buy it when it's not season. The end of summer probably. Oh no, no. That that's when they get you. That's when they get you. They'll they'll get you with the offers then. Three for twenty quid. Ooh, that's cheap. And then you buy loads of it and you end up buying sixty quid thinking, oh look at all this one time those now. I'm never gonna use. Um, but yeah. Do you not feel better about that having seen these images though? Yes, but I I've won actually on a serious on a serious probably been funded by some suntan yeah. selling company yeah, or something I, like I tell you just a, just a quick byline what what has annoyed me is the fact that it seems that companies seems to profit from people's health like serious health issues so now I've noticed that patches for cigarettes have gone up and suntan lotion itself has gone up yeah. so all these things that are obviously protecting you from a very serious condition or you know that you could have in the future these companies are so ruthless. Like they're literally like, well, you know, it's a, it's like, it's almost like a captive business. You've got no choice, otherwise, you know, yeah. you're gonna get cancer. So it yeah. seems to me. But anyway, I'm sorry, I'm rambling on about that. I feel quite passionately. But anyway, shall we move on? <laughs> collided with a cruiser during a routine training exercise off the east coast of the US last week. Reports indicate there have been no casualties, but the extent of the damage sustained to both vessels remains unclear. So, should put this into some sort of context, nuclear sub, which was the USS Montpellier, it collided with the cruiser, the USS San Jacinto, no one was injured. They haven't really revealed the extent of the damage, but I do understand this has happened before. It's rare. It's rare that it's happened, but it has happened during training exercises. But the fact that there's been, you know, no massive explosion or anything, I, you know, I assume it's okay <laughs> or intact. <coughs> but I don't know. There's not really much to say about that, is there? Really? It's happened before. Like, didn't didn't two didn't an, an English and oh, sorry, British. Uh, and French nuclear submarine collide at one point. Just 
in open waters. In open waters. Well, yeah. Well, if you're both being really silent and just going around <laughs> in the same kind of areas, <laughs> <laughs> you're That's the thing. Yeah. If, they, if they can, if they try and check to see where somebody else is, they give away their position, so they can't do. When they hear a bomb, they just go backwards. <laughs> <laughs> do they really? <laughs> well, they have to. What else are they going to do? Because they, if they if they come up and see what's happening, they could just have found themselves. That's there. true. That's really weird. But they've got really serious things on there. They don't really want bombs being. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really sound like much. It sounds harmless. I mean, obviously, some anti-nuclear groups have been banging on about it, but it's not really associated with nuclear at all. It's just a submarine colliding with a ship, so I don't see. Uh, so it's nothing to do with the nuclear core doesn't direct the submarine. It just yeah. powers it. So it says the nuclear core is impactable. Pardon? It says the nuclear core propeller is fine. Oh, it's absolutely fine, yeah. right. Okay. It's fine. Calm down, Greenpeace, calm down. <laughs> anyway, I suppose going off on this, this is an absolutely mental story. And I, I suppose I'll just read it out to you. It's from Wired.com, and I'll read the opening paragraph. Ending a romantic affair by faking your own death is usually a bad idea for I don't know everyone. What's an even worse idea? Faking your own death sweet before taking command of the US Navy's nuclear submarine USSS Pittsburgh. Yeah, so basically... On 5th of September this year, Navy Commander Michael P. Ward II was found guilty of conduct unbecoming of an officer and a gentleman, dereliction of duty and adultery, which is actually an offence in the US uniformed services. Um, he staged his own death to deceive a young lover with whom he was obviously having an affair. As this punishment, Ward received the punitive letter of reprimand and has been relegated to administrative duties at Naval Submarine Base New London, the home port of the Pittsburgh. So basically what happened was is he wanted to get away from his lover because he'd obviously been given command of this nuclear sub, but rather than just leave, he faked his own death so she wouldn't bother him anymore so he could command a nuclear sub. And of course, when he started commanding it, he'd been on every single news station in the country, so obviously she's going to be aware that he's still alive. Yeah. Well, no, she only found out because she turned up at his house. Yeah. Oh, she right, went, okay. She went to his house to um, pay her respects and uh, realised that he was still alive after he told her that she he didn't, didn't He didn't do this very well. He wasn't very clever about no. it. Also, how terrifying was this woman to have been? For to not to just, not to, not to just like, just say, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to break up with you. Even make up any excuse. And so scared of the repercussions that you fake your own death. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you're, you know, high up in the military. You imagine not much is going to scare you there, but, but this he, woman's terrified. He emailed <laughs> her afterwards when she found out, didn't she? No, didn't she he? He emailed her. <laughs> oh, guess what? I'm alive. A colleague called Bob. Saying, very oh, sorry. oh my god, you <laughs> Sorry to inform you, but. But I don't understand. I know he was obviously moving mm. and everything, but I don't understand why he just wouldn't leave without, you know. But does he deserve to lose his job over it? Well, I broke the rules that he knew existed. Well, no, it's adultery, isn't it? Adultery, according to the naval code, is uh, punishable. Also, I imagine but does that affect his job? I mean, should well, it be punishable? Well, I don't does think it necessarily his... affects his job, but it does, it does. it's not exactly you trustworthy. <laughs> You've got someone in charge of a nuclear submarine. They've got to be Make in a very decisions. strong character yeah, yeah. because they're in charge of something very serious. Okay. The time we should point out that his own death, at the really time yeah. he did work for the Joint Chiefs of Staff, so obviously he sort of it's created this elaborate lie. It is a bit worrying that this guy who's in charge of nuclear weapons is capable of making up like that. It's quite happy to fake his own death. Yeah, it's, not very, it's yeah. quite worrying, actually. 
I, t- I don't understand what planet he was on. So I don't know who's in charge of the Pittsburgh now, but I, d- I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting to get access to, like, like a naval report just to see how they wrote. I cannot, we just can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> what a zombie in charge. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, now more or less over his career. He's pretty much, uh, he's been put down into an office, basically. Commander Ward's dishonesty and deception is developing, maintaining, and attempting to end his inappropriate relationship. We're egregious and are not consistent with our Navy's expectations of a commissioned officer. So, I mean, it's absolutely styled. They met on a dating website and it obviously went from there. But I don't know what his wife, or I assume ex-wife, <laughs> now thinks of it. But yeah, crazy, crazy story associated with a nuclear submarine there, guys. Could you not just have said... I don't really want to have an affair with you. Anymore. Yeah, that's why I don't understand. The it's fact not that, that easy. Oh, but what are you emails saying? Oh, by the way, I'm his mate Bob. Uh, sorry to say he's dead. Uh, I mean, surely you'd think that's a bit weird. Shall we move on to the discussion then? Yeah. No one's going yeah. have deferred plans to test the suitability of sites earmarked for an underground nuclear waste repository. The deference as to whether to make a decision on whether the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority can make a decision on a decision which may prove decisive for the Cumbrian people has reunited the debate on nuclear waste disposal and confused a lot of people. With the advent of a BBC Inside Out documentary on the nuclear waste situation in Cumbria, it proved rather apt that we talk about it on the show and attempt to debunk the myths surrounding these ethereal barrels locked up in facilities around the country. So, what? I mean, first off, guys, we should start off. I mean, what do you think about this decision, first and foremost, on making the decision of a decision? Well, exactly, that's what it is. For a decision to be made. A decision of a decision. So it's very early in the process. What scares me is something that was sort of mentioned by one of the councils was that they want to reserve the right to count, cancel up until construction. Up until construction. Yeah. So if they've spent all this money preparing blueprint and yeah. laying, you know, mm. and everything well, before construction, just for them to turn around and go, "Hey guys, you've invested this much money. <laughs> Turns out we don't want you to build it." That scares the living daylights out to me. Well, that's one of the things they address. Why, why this decision has been delayed until January is because uh, basically it wasn't how it was worded. The fact that they could cancel up until construction wasn't technically legally binding. So that's what one of the reasons why they've said we want to delay it until it's completely legally, legally set, bound. Yeah, so that we don't have to commit to anything until it's constructed. Okay. And if this decision goes ahead. Then all it will mean really it's just is a that test. they'll look yeah, they'll look more closely at the sites being offered and see if Yeah, the geology is yeah. they want to look at the geo I think Check the geology. we should explain. So an underground nuclear waste repository is a very a lot 
elaborate underground cavern, almost, if you think yeah. about it like that, in which we can store our, our nuclear waste. Now, obviously, this nuclear waste is radioactive and it's very heat-generating, you know, the high-level waste. And what, did it, what they'll do is, when they bury it in the ground, obviously, they're hoping to do, leave it there for, obviously, thousands of years. But the big issue is that the geology will almost act as like a natural barrier, won't it? Yeah. Um, so the radiation can't permeate through onto sea level. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think they do need... I mean, it says the council said they want more clarity and a better understanding from the government about the time scale and the detail involved in the FDA to test the geology, isn't it? I think that's what they're... Yeah. yeah. I think they want more clarity from the government because probably the... The NDA have obviously been trying their best to... Sell it to them. Sell, well, no, not just sell it to them, to, but to obviously explain the message to them. Maybe they don't feel they've done a good enough job I think that's doing it. That. It's everything's uh, just not good enough yet, the details. But then the problem is they obviously can't go into too much detail without their decision to go forward with the idea of considering it kind of thing. Yeah. So um, I think one of the main reasons, another main reason they were concerned is obviously the problem that Cumbria's main... Um, economic income comes from nuclear industry and from tourism and the two often don't go very well together in that obviously the Cumbria brand come to the Lake District to help people I don't think it's been damaged by Sellafield though has it? No it it hasn't but the the danger is that in the future if it just becomes, they don't want to be seen as it becoming you know like a dumping ground for nuclear waste Yeah, yeah. and obviously that will detract from the tourism so they need more um, reassurance from that from the um, well, I think the, the big, you've raised a very happen. interesting issue there because the BBC Inside Out documentary, they interviewed the public and that was the main issue they had. They didn't want to be perceived as this nuclear wasteland for people to just come and bury their, exactly, put their waste. Yeah. But I think the, prob- the, big, the bigger problem, or the bigger issue I yeah. have was the nuclear spokesperson I think they got on the BBC said, listen, how are you going to change perceptions of this? And all he could say was, we're going to make the word more sexy. I was like, is that, is that all said? you've got to say? Ooh. I was Geological like, wow, that guy should be sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not aiding matters by saying we should make it more sound more sexy. It's no, you should be actually educating and yeah, understanding to these yeah. people. I'm not trying to make the word more, you know, hey guys, come just and hang out at our. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just thought that was such a stupid and ignorant. Argument. I, I mean, and I don't think it helps the nuclear industry having people like that as, mm. you, know, ma- you know, PR guys in charge. Yeah, you know. trying to disguise what it is. Yeah, trying to disguise. Essentially, yeah. that's what I got yeah. the impression he was saying. Mm-hmm. Let's disguise what it is, and you know, not uh, try and promote it. Slide in some high level ways. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, we should actually explain then, shouldn't we? Uh, sort of going back then to sort of debunking the myths there are different classifications of waste aren't there I think this is the, one of the main sort of gripes of the public have they don't necessarily understand what this waste is mm. what it contains what form it takes um, I suppose there's a common misconception out there isn't there that you know you've got the typical black barrels with a yellow radioactive sign in the full uh, Simpsons yeah Simpsons full of <laughs> full of like yellow fluorescent liquid uh, Green. which just isn't the case at all is it yeah so does anyone want to elaborate on classifications of waste or well high level waste is um, gives off heat which is the main problem for it it can not easily be contained because of the way the heat 
um, changes the properties of whatever material, whether it's steel or copper, whatever you decide to contain it in, the heat generated by the herbal waste will change that. And that's already stored in Cumbria already. Yeah, that's so. the thing. It's already stored in Cumbria in non-permanent. Well, that's it's. I mean. The actual waste itself is all the nasty stuff that comes out of the reactor, isn't it? Essentially, all the yeah, and waste products, and so waste the actinides and the fishing well, products. Which yeah. um, I think the waste from reprocessing is it all of it? If you do it for foreign countries, is it's the all waste, it's, it's all, all sent back. Yes, well, so we're not keeping foreign. That's important. No, no, no well. they we're have to. The activity that they give waste. us, they have to receive that back, right, don't okay. they? That's the that's general. Because we don't send back their intermediate level waste. So yeah. the padding from the fuel, they just basically chop that up and stick it into a load of cement in a barrel. And because it takes up way more space, you can't really send that back to a foreign country because that's too much time and effort. So we the, keep I mean, all of that and send the, it back I mean, this waste more. is nasty. I mean, this waste is nasty. And it takes up a very small volume, <coughs> doesn't it, the actual uh, stuff that comes out of the reactor, but it produces 98% of the activity, doesn't it? I think that's yeah, about right, doesn't it? Um, so as... as Lizzie pointed out a lot of this stuff is reprocessed so what that means is essentially think about it as very crude recycling so obviously they want to separate the uranium plutonium that hasn't been used out re- reform that as fuel the rest of it can go off and be formed into high level waste so it's what's called vitrified so it's obviously in a liquid form and it's mixed in with glass and they harden it and it's almost like I suppose frozen in glass isn't it is an easy way of explaining it um, but it's a very safe waveform, so it's not liquid. It's not this liquid in a barrel mm. thing. Um, but then you've got other forms of waste, haven't you? So you've got intermediate level waste, which isn't heat generating. But so they're going to be burying that in the geological yeah. industry as well. And so that's stuff like uh, basically the fuel is surrounded in material with a new reactor that's stripped off the fuel when it comes out. That cladding, as they call it, is. Uh, often say let's say put in concrete and then put within a steel container and then you've got low level waste which is all your contaminated clothing isn't it really like gloves that's from hospitals as well as nuclear facilities so there are different types of waste so so there there are different types of waste then but i think you were saying before we started then lizzie you were saying that obviously cumbrian people have more of an understanding of okay, yeah. waste yeah so like what do you feel are the issues for okay the people of cumbria more so than well i have the issues why it's been delayed okay i've got the issues here if you need issues you know help. you can yeah, but when you're mentioning about there's a mistrust between government yeah and yeah there is yeah because the reason why they said in the letter is because they said um economic future of West Cumbria um, relies very much on the future of the nuclear industry in general in the country. So the nu- the government strategy needs to be explained to them carefully, and like, right. they need more reassurance that the government strategy is um, to invest in nuclear before they say yes to this. Okay. Because obviously, if the whole world, the country turns away from nuclear and go- starts going to renewable, or whatever, and they're stuck with all the waste, it's going to look even worse for them. Whereas if it's embracing like a new generation of ele- nuclear power. Yeah, well, I think the important thing there, though, is just that they need to understand that obviously there's a lot of waste from the legacy side. Yeah, of it. yeah, but that's I think that's the thing. Like, maybe they won't. Maybe it will affect their decision if the government decides not to go ahead with new nuclear power stations because it will seen as like a dated old thing, and they're, they're then storing it. You yeah, know what I can see what you, you mean. You but want to take it into account. Whereas if it's like there's going to be more waste to come in years to come, it's going to be a dynamic thing. There's going to be new waste and. 
like they're not just gonna be forgotten about as an old past has been power source. Do you know what I mean? Does Still don't. I, I, like I don't know about that, but I certainly don't feel it's. You know, I don't feel that will be like a forgotten facility. I mean, they've got to deal with all the legacy waste before they even deal with the new build waste, haven't they? So I don't really... They don't even know what to do with the new build waste. Yeah, that's the thing. They could build this repository and then not really... But I don't know, what other issues do you think they have then? They had that one. Um, So they said... Did you read the letter that they sent to the MP? So basically, the the three councils wrote a letter to this MP said, basically, we've delayed this decision for these reasons. Firstly, because we want to strengthen the right for withdrawal, because it's not, at the moment, legally binding. Secondly, um, the the equipment, basically what the, the benefits to the communities isn't yet um, outlined clearly enough. There's more, no more details. What the, they need more detail what the benefits are going to be. And thirdly, the paramount concern is the lack of definite information about the um, MRWS programme, which is making Bradway safe. I don't know how it's going to be safe. And weren't there also a few geologists there that also believe that it's not even suitable in the first yeah, place? Yeah, there was so a report that came out that said nowhere in Cumbria is geologically suitable. What report? Do you know where that um, source was from? Do you know? No, it wasn't. I don't know. But those two that I said by the British Geological Survey, the two criteria is it's not going to be extracted in the future, so there's no coal or anything there that might, future generations might think it's a good idea to dig up, and that there's no groundwater. And so, so one survey came out that said that there's no place in Cumbria that exists like that, but obviously they need more detail to prove that it does. I think they need to, the UK then, definitely need to highlight the example in Finland, is it? The repository in Finland? But they were saying their, their tourism's still thriving, though. Like, it's not, if anything, it's you know gone up because they've had a lot of compensation payments for having it built there, and they've had schools and hospitals and stuff. So I think... The government over there give them like incentives almost mm. to take on the responsibility of having a repository. Yeah. And you were saying, Steve, it was like Sweden, wasn't it? The example they had two sites, was it that they were sort of? Yeah. So. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Aladdin and the uh, the Aladdin site and the Copeland, the two different boroughs. Right. So what was that to do with them? What was? About they both. Uh, said that they wanted the nuclear site within them, like in their borough, but it's not only to do with that, it's to do with all the local parishes. I think that's caused a lot of problems within the repository. Oh, well. right, okay. So, but were, were, when one got the repository, they got like schools and hospitals, and then the other one you were saying got like compensation for. Yeah, that's what they, they're hoping would happen, but they don't know if that's going to happen. They don't know if that's going to happen yet. Oh, okay. So, I mean, there's certainly, like, examples out there of a repository definitely working for a community, not necessarily completely. They get so many other examples. Obviously, Yucca Mountain's in the middle of nowhere, but, I mean, it's that, that one's been a complete disaster, hasn't it, really? Um, so that's a facility in the US. But that's been a, a complete shambles. But I do think there's shining examples for Cumbria to take from that, like, include in Finland that, you know... But yeah, what well, I mean, do you have anything else to say on waste, or what other issues do you think there are about waste, or lots of issues? I'm just confused now. Um, really confused. Basically, the overall thing is it's been delayed to January until things are clear. Yeah, that's the most, Confu- basically what's happened. Cool. The Confu- decision's been delayed. Okay, so confused <laughs> with what? Everything. There's <laughs> waste. In Some general. people, yeah. There's, there's so many different kinds. There's like 
you've got to do these surveys to find things out and then people want more information before they let them do something else to get more information mm -hmm. and just like, <laughs> 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 you got anything to say John or yeah. <laughs> uh, we do have a question though um, from Simon Gill. Who's Simon Gill? He's a tweeter. Oh, really? Tweeted us. At New Kitchhiker, question How do risks, i.e., the likelihood times by the consequences, of nuclear waste from worldwide industry compare to those from the fossil fuel world? I don't think anyone knows. I don't think it's been a comparable study, but I mean, I think it's quite hard to, when there's obviously two varying types of waste, I mean, fossil fuels, the big issue is carbon dioxide, isn't it? Is that death per terawatt hour produced? Plus there's mining issues as well, because that killed so many people with mining. Also coal and all the poison it takes in the air, which, you know, kill people or short people by. Yeah, I think that nuclear waste is a much lower risk. You, you'd say that, but once you put it in the ground and you store it over a lifetime, you if, you get, if you get it all wrong and it all washes out and then murders <laughs> like an entire continent. Exactly, it's a lot worse. Yeah, yeah. obviously that's not going to happen. I do well, think that... <laughs> <laughs> but no yeah, but I, I mean, you've got to bear in mind, I mean, the chemicals they use in these industries, like the coal mm -hmm. and the oil industry on top of that, I mean, yeah, exactly, they're using yeah. very, very dangerous substances that people out. seem to think because they're not Oils, radioactive. Oils. Yeah, people seem to think that they're not radioactive, they're fine, when clearly they're not. So, I mean, you know, that you only have to look at that oil spill a couple of years ago off the Gulf mm. of Mexico to look at the risks involved in, you know, the, proce the energy process in general with oil. Didn't we go um, to Sellafield at the time and someone had pinned up a little poster which said... Uh, Something about yay, let's just build more nuclear instead. Yeah, yeah, because they thought it was a complete like death knell for oil. <laughs> it was completely. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> the I mean, the like he says the likelihood times by the consequences. I mean, as, as you just mentioned, Gail, I suppose the consequences if there's a huge flood of a repository, which there wouldn't really be anyway, because they wouldn't build in a place where the water table and, was high enough to get at it. And even then, if say the radiation got out, it's it's been. Immobilised is the word. Immobilised, so it shouldn't. Come it shouldn't out, right? move, yeah, because it's been in glass or cement. But there's the other thing: if this radioactive waste lasts millions of years, and you build a repository, and then there's an ice age, and then an entire sort of glacier comes over there and rips out your repository because it may not be in the right place, or it may not be deep enough for the mm -hmm. giant glacier to destroy yeah. it. Then what happens then if you end up just spreading nuclear material around? Uh, yeah, I think. I mean. It, the way he's asked his question, I think um, it's quite, it's, it's obviously very hard to determine because I think the thing is with nuclear, I think you're looking at much more, as you said, is long term, like thousands of years risk. You know, you're, you're trying to analyse risk over a very, 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 yeah. very, very large time period, which is obviously we're not, you know, we're, <laughs> we're not mystics. Um, this but, is what happens when people are doing the uh, doing studies. I think. Now we're doing studies to look at things like what happens with erosion, with glacial movement, what could happen, worst case scenario, and how bad would it be? But, you know, it's it's very, very theoretical to the point of, you know... Just waving your hand. Yeah, waving your hand, yeah. <laughs> so, I think the risks, I would say the risks are very immediate, though, with waste from the fossil fuel industry. And that's obviously an effect which is happening right this second, right now. So the likelihood of it happening... Is a hundred percent because it's happening right now. You know, it's contributing to global warming and all the rest of it. So I think in that case, it is quite 
I, I think they do. You can compare them on that level, but as you said, I think everything is quite difficult. You can look at the death rate per ten of terawatt hour if you want. But is that to do with the waste of the industry or the production? Future issues with waste and things. It's just like that. up to current, yeah. Up to current, yeah. Sort of. It includes all the disaster disasters we've had so far. So Fukushima with a big zero. Because <laughs> 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 nuclear is only 0.04, and if you look at coal, just in China, it's 90 per terawatt hour. Really? Even hydro, if you include Banquai, it's 1.4. But that did kill 171,000 people. So. Ah, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, so but they, they, give, they, give that quote, they give the hydro quote with and without a quote because it makes such a huge difference. Well, yeah, I think, I think sort of to wrap it up, to answer his question, I think the risks, obviously, <coughs> assessing nuclear waste risks, doing that over millions of years, risks with the fossil fuel industry, you're doing that, that's an immediate risk which is happening this very second. So. Um, and the consequences, I think, as David Attenborough said in The Guardian yesterday, for global warming, will be quite severe. So thank you, oil and gas industry. Uh, <laughs> not bitter about that. <laughs> All right, guys, well, you know, hope you enjoyed that today. Remember, keep sending us your tweets if you've got any questions we want to read out. Thanks for the support that we've been having, especially from the EG Energy CDT network who keep tweeting us. So that's great of you guys out there. Big shout-out to you. Guys who are following us for the Wind Energy CDT and also getting retweets from people, like from people from the University of Manchester, Arriva and stuff like that have uh, tweeted us recently. So yeah, no, thanks for that, guys. Got a big shout out as well for the people at Dalton Nuclear who are doing the big campaign at the moment with public engagement. So this is already... The Whitworth Gallery on this Saturday in Manchester. Well, so we're speaking sort of in the past, aren't we? Because by the time I put it up, it's... Oh, yeah. But sign, anyway, well, may as well say it anyway. Last Saturday, last Saturday there was a Manchester Science Spectacular. Which how was it, Lizzie? Was it okay? Oh, it was fabulous. Was it great? Uh, but yeah, they they basically do that every year. It's a fantastic event where kids and family alike can come along to see loads of demonstrations. And run your own nuclear power plant. Run your own nuclear power plant. Yeah, don't worry, it's not a real one, guys. But yeah, so Dolan Nuclear, big shout out to them. Thanks for their support. And those guys are doing some great things for public engagement. And yeah, just keep tweeting us, emailing us all your questions, and hopefully we'll be doing more blogs soon. But yeah, I'm going to stop talking now because I'm speaking too quick. But yeah, we'll just see you next time. I suppose it's bye from all of us. Bye. 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 <laughs>